Luke chapter 10, verse number 38 says, Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received her or received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Speaking of word. Verse 40, but Martha was cumbered about with much serving. It came to him, and she was upset. And she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Why don't you tell her to come help me? Jesus answered her and called her name twice, Martha, Martha. You are careful and troubled about many things. But then he brings it home. He said, but one thing is needful. And Mary, I, I know you want Mary to get up and get away from my feet and, and go help you to serve. But Mary had chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. So Jesus comes to this house and there are these two sisters who have two responses to being in the presence of Jesus. And that's what I want to focus on, that second sister. And I want to preach to you from this subject. Hopefully before we leave, the title makes sense. But I want to preach to you tonight, the spirit of Mary. The spirit of Mary. My prayer is that before we leave, that the spirit of Mary would be released into this room. And there's going to be a generation that could grab hold to what Mary had. And I believe if we do that, it will revolutionize our lives. Before you see it, if you could lift up your hands one more time. You've done a great job in worship, but would you pray with me now? Jesus, we love you. We are so thankful to be in your presence. God, we count it an honor to be gathered together under the banner of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in which we lift it high. But God, there are students in this room who need something to minister to them. And I just pray, God, that the Holy Ghost would minister to every person in this room. Jesus, as your people, we take dominion and authority over anything that would oppose what the Spirit is wanting to do tonight. I'm asking you to drive out every distraction. Let our hearts be focused on you, God. Let us do what your Scripture says, and that is to attend upon the Lord without distraction. Let your word find good ground in the soul of our hearts, and let it take up root and bear fruit. And somebody shout, in Jesus' name. I want you to look at somebody you haven't spoken to tonight and say, you look amazing tonight, and you may be seated. (laughs) Has anybody in the room ever read the Bible and truly thought about the idea that the God that created the world wants to have a relationship with us. This God, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who placed every star where it goes and knows them all by name, the Bible says that he made the stars also. Has anyone ever paused to ponder about the idea that that same God truly wants to have a relationship with me and with you. It never ceases to astound me as I journey from the Old Testament to the New Testament that it becomes so clear that this God that is so majestic and so powerful and so awesome becomes so personal and becomes so intentional about opening the door so that people like you 
and people like me could have a relationship with him. In the Old Testament, you see, this was not the case. There was a select group of men that were able to know God and, and to know him on a personal, intimate level. But the majority of the people, they based everything off the role of that particular man, that priest or that prophet. It's why the children of Israel would say things like, Moses, you go talk to God and then tell us what he says, lest he kills us. It's why they would stand afar off as the Bible says that Moses would go into the thick darkness where God was. I don't know about you, but maybe it's just my competitive nature. I would want to be with Moses. I, I wouldn't want to stand afar off and allow Moses to go into the thick darkness where God was and me just sit by idle. Has it ever occurred to you when you read the New Testament and Jesus would be going up to the Mount of Transfiguration and he calls three of the disciples to go with him? Has it ever dawned on you why? Nobody asked, hey, can I go too? That would be me. I don't, I, maybe I got FOMO, but I, I don't want to miss out. If, if a disciple can go, then I want to be one of the disciples to go. I don't know about you, but when I read the scripture, if there is something made available to us, I want it. I don't want a reduced version of Jesus. I don't want a great value version of Jesus. I want everything that Jesus has for me. I don't believe we get a watered down version. I don't believe we get a bite sized version. I don't believe we get a fun sized version. I believe everything in that book, we can have it. Come on, is there anybody else that believes that tonight? Is there anybody that says, not only can we have it, I want it. If miracles are available, I want miracles. If breakthroughs are available, I want breakthroughs. But in the Old Testament, this was not the case. This is why Moses could be at the top of the mountain getting the tablets of stone and the children of Israel can be at the bottom dancing around a golden calf. Because they were dependent upon Moses. The Bible says in Exodus 32 and 1. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mountain. The people gathered themselves together unto Aaron. They said unto him. Make us gods which shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man that brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. In other words, they say, listen, Moses is up there hearing from God on our behalf, but he's taking a little too long, so we're going to try something else because their relationship with God was directly correlated to what Moses was doing. The people relied so much on Moses that God realized this model is not going to work. Because the desire of God is not that few would be priests. is that he would have a nation of priests. He wanted all of us. He wanted all of us to have a relationship with him. Therefore, God in his infinite wisdom had a plan to bridge the gap between God and humanity. So the Bible goes on to tell us in the New Testament in 1 Timothy 2 and 5. There is one God. Did anybody believe that tonight? And there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. The reason the oneness of God is so amazing is that God came himself to create a path for humanity to be personally connected with him. I want you to know what makes the oneness of God so powerful is that we needed a kinsman redeemer and God did not send another. He came himself. He robed himself in flesh. That's why the Bible says God was manifested in the flesh flesh think about that we needed a redeemer God 
came himself for you and for me. His primary mission for coming to the earth, yes, it was to redeem us, but hear me tonight. He does not desire to stop at redemption. He wants a relationship with you. I want you to know, everybody in this room and those that are watching, there is life post-Pentecost. So many people get conflicted because they think Pentecost is as high as we can go. I want you to know when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, that was not the end of something. That was the beginning of something. Don't misunderstand me. There is nothing like receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. I remember 12 years ago, almost 13, July the 4th, 2010, when I received the Holy Ghost for the first time. It changed my life. Anybody else can remember what it did for you? Come on, don't get too starchy and sanctified on me. Do you remember what it was like before Jesus filled you with his spirit? But Pastor Jack, here's what's amazing. Most people think that's the pinnacle, that it all goes down from there. But I had one elder tell me this one time. He said, when you receive the Holy Ghost, he said, it's not a diploma, it's a birth certificate. You're not graduating. You're just getting started. So many people, they just settle. They're just a one-time experience. But I want you to know, God did not come to this world to just bridge the gap to save you. But he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to go to school with you. He wants to go to work with you. He wants to get into your family. I know. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit within the parameters of our human mind that a God, like the God that we serve, like the God we read about, wants to have a relationship with us. Our spiritual experience does not die at Acts 2.38. It begins at Acts 2.38. In John chapter 14, before Jesus poured out his spirit, he told his, he told his disciples repeatedly, he said, listen, I want you to know, I am with you right now. And that's amazing. It's amazing that God was Emmanuel, God with us, that he went to the cross for us. But he told his disciples, I want you to know, if you think having me with you is amazing, wait till you have me in you. They didn't understand. They didn't understand how Jesus could look at them and say, greater works than these shall you do than the ones that I have done on earth. But Jesus wanted them to understand that it's greater for God to be in us than it is for him to be with us. So the gospels are replete with Jesus getting his disciples and their minds pointed toward Pentecost to understand that there's going to be something powerful that comes when God pours out his spirit and he begins to dwell in his people through the infilling of the Holy Ghost. But it was amazing that when the disciples received the spirit of God, Jesus was just getting started. The book of Acts is 28 chapters and they received the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2 which means there were 26 chapters after they received the Holy Ghost and only one chapter before they received the Holy Ghost because when you receive the Spirit of God that's not the end of your story. Jesus is just getting started. 
I want you to know it doesn't matter what kind of family you come from. When you get the Holy Ghost, Jesus is just getting started. Come on, somebody lift up your hands and let him know, God, I'm thankful. You're just getting started. Come on, somebody lift up your voice. God, I'm thankful. And so, Jesus was trying to get us to understand the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is not just for redemption. It's for relationship. And so Paul would tell us things like Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 4. And when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth the son made of woman under the law to redeem them that were under the law. Everybody said, that's us. That we may receive the adoption of sons. What's so, what's so powerful about this spirit? Because you are sons, the Bible says. God has sent forth his spirit of his sons into your hearts. Whereby you can cry, Abba, Father. We talked about it last night. God hath not given us a spirit of bondage again unto fear, but the spirit of adoption. That means we are family. That means it doesn't matter where I come from. He chose me. I may not have been born into the family of God, but he chose me. He picked me. He could have passed me by. He could have looked for somebody else. He could have looked for somebody more qualified but you can't disqualify my presence because I've been adopted by the king of kings he chose me I don't care if nobody else chooses me Jesus chose me Jesus chose me why am I here because Jesus chose me I don't know why but I'm glad he did it doesn't make sense but I'm glad he did If I can be honest, I wouldn't have chose me, but I'm glad that Jesus chose us. He chose us. He chose us. I don't know why, but I'm glad he did. And so the New Testament, these epistles, they're trying to get us to understand we're no longer slaves and we're no longer servants. But the reason they would use this vernacular and this language is they want us to get us to understand we are a family now. This goes past redemption and it steps into relationship. That's why Paul will go on to write in Romans 8 and verse 14 for many have been led by the Spirit of God. Here it is. Here's that terminology again. We are the sons of God. I just quoted it. You have not received the spirit of bondage again unto fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit, it bears the witness with our spirit that we were the children of God. That denotes relationship. Do you understand what makes Jesus so powerful? Number one, he's the one and only true living God. But even if the other gods were real, they don't have a relationship with their worshipers. Buddha has a relationship with his worshipers. There's only one, and his name is Jesus. Jesus gave us his spirit, yes, to save us, but also to have a relationship with us. And I believe it grieves the heart of God for people to be born again of the water and spirit and reduce Jesus to two days a week. 
inside of a building. I want you to know tonight, students, you do not just serve a Sunday and Wednesday God. But you serve a God that wants to have communion with you, that wants to spend time with you, that wants you to know he's there on Monday, and he's there on Tuesday, and he's there on Thursday. You know why the Spirit's in you? It goes wherever you go. He doesn't want to be relegated to a building. He doesn't want to be relegated to a conference. No, there's a God that wants to go with you everywhere you go. But so many miss out on this realm and this element of their relationship with God because they reduce Jesus to their time at church. I don't want you to misunderstand me. I, I think we all know post-2020 how important it is to assemble together with people of like precious faith at church. I am not saying church is not important. I am saying Jesus is bigger than church. That the same God that's going to speak to you tonight wants to speak to you Tuesday morning. The same God that speaks to you through your favorite preacher. He wants to talk to you on an ordinary Thursday evening. It doesn't make sense. But he wants to have a relationship with you that's not based on anybody else but just your love for him and his love for you. In Acts chapter 17, Paul goes on to Mars Hill. I got to travel to Mars Hill in 2020. I'm going again next week. And I got to step on there. And Pastor Alex, I just, it's not very big. It's about the size of two of these platforms. And I walked all around there. I'm thinking, where was Paul at? This is probably against the rules, but I broke a piece of it. I'll put it in my suitcase and brought it home. Thank the Lord I'm not in prison somewhere. If, if you're watching, Mars Hill Police and you want it back, come get it. You ain't getting it back. Just kidding, you can have it. But I, I, I got to stand on, on Mars Hill and Paul stumbles on some people at Mars Hill and you know what they're doing? They have an altar to the unknown God and they're praying to an unknown God. And Paul tells him, no, 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 this is not how it's supposed to be. Do you understand that this Jesus came and died so that he no longer has to be unknown? He said, I perceive that you are religious and superstitious. He goes on to say a couple verses later, God once winked at ignorance, but now he commands all to repent. Here was the travesty of an unknown God and an unknown altar. It did not have to be that way. Jesus is not an unknown God and unknown altars will not work anymore. God once winked at angers, but now he commands all to repent. What am I trying to tell you? The door is open. If you want to know him, you can know him for yourself. It doesn't matter if your parents don't know him. It doesn't matter if your parents do know him. If you want to know him, you can know him for yourself. It was Paul that stated in Philippians chapter 3 that I may know him 
and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. This verse convicts me because this is 25 years after Paul had been converted. This was not the prayer of an unsaved man wanting to be saved. This was the prayer of a saved man who was not satisfied who had been saved for 25 years. 25 years of traveling. 25 years of preaching. 25 years of starting churches. 25 years of writing epistles. 25 years, but he still said, I want to know Jesus. My prayer tonight is that before you leave tonight, not that you say that was a great message, not that you say that was a great service, but I pray you leave tonight with an insatiable desire to know Jesus on a greater level than you ever had before. Don't be satisfied with surface level Christianity. There's a God that wants to know you and he wants you to know him. I wonder if we can lift our hands all over this room. And if there's anybody in the house that truly feels the way that Paul did, I wish you lift your voice right now and just say, Jesus, I want to know you more, more than I ever have. Come on, I feel that I'm standing before a generation that says we don't want the fluff and the hype. We want to know him. I want you to know tonight that there's a relationship with God that can surpass the four walls of your church. It doesn't fit within the parameters of your weekly service. It's a relationship that will lead you to turn your bedroom into a prayer room and the edge of your bed to an altar. A relationship that will push you out of your comfort zone, a witness to the lady at the store or the classmate at Tuesday at school. I have to ask you tonight a tough question. Do you know God for yourself or do you know about God? Do you know God or do you know people that know God? Judas, are you walking with God or do you walk with people that walk with God? Because sometimes the two can be confusing. Do you really know him tonight? For yourself, Judas walked with 11 men that walked with God. And sometimes like Judas, our proximity to other disciples can confuse us that we too are true disciples. Judas saw the miracles. Judas worshiped and sang with the disciples. But he ended up betraying Jesus and hanging himself. Why? Because he never took time to fall in love with God that loved him. Jesus wants you to know him and he wants to know you. There's an Old Testament promise through the mouth of the prophet Daniel when he said, and such do wickedly in Daniel chapter 11 against the covenant. He was talking about, he was talking about a man in that day, but he was also talking about the spirit of the Antichrist. And he said the people, but he said, but the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. I want you to know you don't have to fear what's coming as long as you know the God that you're serving. And the people that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. I want you to know you can be strong if you know him in an intimate, personal way. Some time ago, as a youth pastor, it bothers me, Kent. It, it truly bothers me to see students in atmospheres like this leave out and just a regular Tuesday at school can just defeat them. And I've often sought God and prayed. And one day I was in a season of prayer and fasting. I said, God, what's going on? 
And here's what God spoke to me. He said, the reason people are like that where they're so easily defeated is because they're living by experiences and not by relationship. See, we, we sometimes can confuse the two. But I want you to hear me for just a moment. God desires more than for you to just have experiences with him. Here's how God works. Can't God will let you experience salvation, but want you to know you can have a relationship with the Savior. He will let you experience deliverance, but wants you to know you can have a relationship with the deliverer. He will let you experience breakthrough. But want you to know more than you just experienced breakthrough, Neil. You can have a relationship with the God of the breakthrough. So what's greater? A one-time experience? A relationship with the God that's able to do all of those things? You don't have to be satisfied with a sample when you have access to the source of the well that never runs dry. I want you to know this is more than experiences. This goes beyond remnant. It goes beyond youth retreat. It goes beyond Congress. And what happens is so many people get experience reliant that they get their experience and they stagger to the next one hoping the Lord doesn't come back before they get another experience. I often tell our students, moments in the presence of God are meant to create momentum. The word momentum is 75% of the word moments. God does give you experiences, and he does give you moments, but that is to give you momentum. But you cannot base your relationship with God on experiences. It has to be on relationship. It has to be. I use this analogy all the time. My wife, in my opinion, yours can be different and you can be wrong. But my wife is the most amazing lady on the planet, in my opinion. And I'm just so thankful that I got to marry the most amazing lady on the planet. March 25th, 2016. Pastor Lima, I will never forget it. Brother Carter, I'll never forget it. As I stood on the platform with my black double-breasted suit, white shirt, black tie, everything, perfect shoes, polished. And when the back doors opened, man, she was so beautiful. She walked down the aisle. It's like she was gliding down the aisle like an angel. I was crying, which is nothing new. I cry all the time. But that was an amazing day. But you know what that wasn't? That wasn't a marriage. That was a wedding. And I've learned after being married for seven years, there's a big difference between a wedding and a marriage. You see, at the wedding, a lot of people were there. Everything was perfect. The music was perfect. Everybody was cheering. But you know what kept us after that experience? We made a covenant in the middle of that experience that I know it's not always going to be like this. I know not everybody's always going to be here. But I want you to know, Summer, I'm making a covenant in the middle of this experience that for better or worse, till death do us part. And you know what? Not every day has been as amazing as the wedding. Don't shoot me, but it's the truth. You know what a lot of days are? Normal Monday evenings. There's nobody there. Believe it or not, sometimes I get a bad attitude and my wife will tell me I need to go pray. 
But you know what keeps us? It wasn't the wedding. It was the covenant we made. And it's our relationship. You know why she doesn't have to wonder when I leave for work in the morning, is my husband coming back? Is he going to go off with another woman? No, why? Because I love her. And our relationship is not based on experiences. Yes, they're amazing. I'm thankful for Valentine's Day. I'm thankful for anniversaries. I'm thankful for vacations. But if you take all of that away, I still want to spend the rest of my life with her. Why? Because it's about relationship. So what if there was never, never another youth congress, never another remnant? Could you still live for God? It's got to be about relationship. God wants you to have a relationship. Anybody can show up for the loaves and the fish. But Jesus wants you to live on daily bread. The loaves and the fish, that's amazing. But it only happened two times in scripture. And miracles and experiences, they're amazing. But what's more powerful than that is daily bread. It's not as exciting, but it's sustaining. I'm preaching to someone tonight. God wants to invite you to a relationship. Something greater than experiences. If anybody in the Old Testament knew what experiences were like, it was Moses. This man saw God do so many things. He survived the Nile River in a handmade basket. He experienced a burning bush where God spoke to him through a bush that was burned but not consumed. He experienced a plague that broke down Pharaoh in Egypt. He saw the Red Sea dry up. He saw water coming from a rock. And Moses, he had a lot of amazing experiences, but he said, God, I don't want experiences. I want relationship. So the Bible says in Exodus 33 and 11, and, Lord, and the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. I don't know what that does to you, what that does for me, but I want my relationship with God to be like that, where God can speak to true as a man speaks to his friend. You speak to friends differently than you speak to strangers. There's a different conversation. There's a different dialogue. I speak to my wife differently than I speak to everybody else. Why? Because the relationship is greater. So the Bible says in verse number 12, verse 13 rather, that Moses said, now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me your way that I may know you. Moses said, God, I'm thankful for all the miracles I've seen, and I've seen you do a lot of things. But God, at the end of the day, I don't want more miracles. I don't want more experiences. I want a relationship with you. Because Moses knew relationships will keep you. When the experiences are gone. So here's how God responds to that kind of prayer. Verse 14. And he said okay. Well my presence is going to go with you. And I will give you rest. God said Moses if you really want to know me. Then that's what's going to happen. I'm going to send my presence with you. And we're going to go through this together. And the Moses says this in verse number 15. He said well good because if your presence go not with me. Then I don't want you to carry us up hence. What Moses is saying is God. I'm not looking for another experience. And I know we've been waiting on the promised land. And I know we've been waiting on all of these things. But what Moses was telling God. I'd rather stay in the wilderness with you than go into the promised land without you because this isn't about the promised land and this isn't about experiences. God, this is about you. This is about relationship. Can I ask, 
Those of us in this room who serve and in ministry, if God took it all away today, would you still serve him? If you never stepped foot on another platform, you never held another microphone, would your prayer life change? Would your consecration change? Would your commitment change? I want you to know that deep down in the bottom of my heart, before I ever grabbed their microphone, before I ever preached my first sermon, I was a 19-year-old who found God and he changed my life. And I told God for the rest of my life, all I want is I want to know you and I want to help other people know about you. That's it. So we have to ask ourselves this question. Do we really know God? Or do we just know about God? I need a young man to help me right here. That's not going to get weirded out too easy. Oh, yeah, right here. You must be in Bible college or something. Oh, I'm shocked. You ain't got no shoes on, so that's perfect. In John chapter 13... This is what happens when you know God. John chapter 13, all the disciples are at a table. And Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. And they're all sitting there at the table. And everybody's worrying about who it is. And then there's this weirdo named John who's in the presence of Jesus. He's not worried about the question. He got his head just on Jesus' chest. It's kind of weird. But here's what's so cool about the weirdos. It's always worshiping, always crying, always at the altar, always at prayer meeting, always at the serve day, always helping. The other disciples knew something. Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. Nobody knew who it was. And so they didn't ask Jesus who it was. They asked John. Because they said, John, if he's going to tell anybody anything, he's going to tell the person who's got their mind in the right place, got their head in the right place. John had his mind and seek with the heartbeat of God. And they said, John, here's what we know. You may be weird, but if Jesus is going to give a secret to anybody, He's going to give it to you. I don't know about you. I don't want to be one of the other 11 disciples who has to ask another disciple a question about a secret from God. I want to be the one that's so close to God that everybody else knows. Drew may be a little weird, but if God's going to use anybody, if God's going to use anybody, he's going to use him. If God's going to tell anybody anything, it's going to be John. Why? Because John knows him. This ain't about loaves and bits to John. I want you to stand to your feet. My time is up. Let me see if can come. In our opening text, I read this last weekend, my devotion. And it shook my world. The Bible says in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, came to pass 
as they went that Jesus entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. She had a sister named Mary which sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about with much serving. Martha, what are you doing? Well, I'm busy with my ministry right now. And she came to Jesus and she said, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to come help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, you are careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary had chosen the good part. Two sisters, both in the presence of Jesus, two different reactions. One sat and one served. Yes, God desires servants, but he prefers sitters. And everybody in this room, we're all called to serve, yes, but first, I believe God is calling us back to learn how to sit. Because Martha tried to impress Jesus with her ministry, but Mary just sat in his presence, soaking every word coming out of his mouth. Martha was focused on ministry. Mary was focused on relationship. And here is what concerns me. Because I believe that this generation, you get it. You know how to serve. I believe you're the most gifted generation I believe you're the most talented generation. I believe God has gifted you with things that are going to bless his kingdom. But here's what I want you to know. More than Jesus wants your talent, he wants your time. And sometimes I fear that we get conflicted that what we do for God replaces what we do with God. And so Mary, when Jesus comes in, She's sitting there at his feet. She's telling Jesus, listen, I don't want what you can give me. I'm not after your hands. I'm going to sit at your feet and I want to hear what you have to say. And my question to all of us tonight is when is the last time we spend time in the presence of God? Not asking for anything. God, I just want to be in your presence or have we become so consumed that what we give to God replaces what we can give from him by sitting at his presence at his feet soaking up every word over the last seven days God has been dealing so strongly with me about these two sisters I know we live in such a fast pace, quick, convenient, throw it in the microwave, swipe the card, let's move on. I don't have time 
But I want to challenge a generation to get back to just spending time at the feet of Jesus, listening to the words that are coming out of his mouth. When you do that, here's what you're telling God. I'm not after what you can give me. I simply want a relationship with you. I want a broken young man and young lady to hear me right now. God is not interested in what you can offer his kingdom. It doesn't matter if you can sing. It doesn't matter if you can play. It doesn't matter if you can preach. Here's what God is interested in. You. I said it over and over. It doesn't make sense that the God of the universe, he just wants to spend time with you. But this is more than a solo you sing on Sunday. This is more than the run that you can do on the guitar. Here's my question. Can you put the mic down? And can you put the guitar down? And can you be like Mary and just say, Jesus, I just want to sit at your feet. I know we're good at church and I know we're good at doing everything we know how to do but can we sit at the feet of Jesus this is not this is not about this is not about our ministry and I thank God for your ministry this is not about our gifting, and I thank God for it. But I want to know if the ministry was taken away, if the talent disappeared, if your position was gone, what would you do? My pastor told me early on, he said, Drew, you better never focus on your ministry, and you better always focus on your relationship with God. It's got to be if they take their microphone away, if they take the platform away, if there's no spotlight, if there's no Instagram posts, if there's no attaboys, if there's no girls. all I want is, I want to be like Mary. I want to be like Mary. Jesus, I want to sit at your feet. I want the anointing that flows from your presence, and I want to hear what you're saying God I want to be like Mary I know Martha's serving and I know she's gifted and has her ministry but God I don't want to get up I don't want to get up I don't want to get up I want you to know the moments that have shaped my life they did not happen in masses and they did not happen in the crowd they happened in a bedroom when I would get along with God, when I didn't know everything about the Bible, they happened when I would be driving down the road and I would get everything out of the front seat of my car, Justin, and I know it's weird, but I would say, Jesus, would you come and sit in this car with me? And here's what I found out about Jesus. Every time I gave him that invitation, that invitation, he came. I had just learned to be like Mary. And here's what you know, you make the transition where you say, this is not about what Jesus can give me, but this is about what I can give Jesus. And I want to give him my life. I want to lay it all down for a God that laid it all down for me. Is there any young man or young woman in the room that wants to be overtaken with the mantle and the spirit of Mary? 
and says, yes, I know we got to serve, but right now we got to sit at the feet of Jesus. Is there a young person in this room that says, I, I want a relationship with that kind of God? If that's you, I want you to step out of your seat, and I don't want you to casually walk to the front. I wonder if you could come and find a place to kneel. I know there's not enough room for everybody, but God is sweeping a generation and calling you to come back to his presence. This is not about gifts. This is not about pulpits. This is not about spotlight. Jesus, we want to know you. Come on, that's it. Lay your pride down. Can we lay our ego down? Jesus, we want to know you. We want to know you. We want to know you. I'm telling somebody God's going to reveal himself to you. Come on, that's it. Jesus is going home with you. Jesus is going home with you. Come on, that's it. Let him know this is what I want. You're what I want, Jesus. I don't want what you can give me. I want you. Come on, this is beautiful. This is what Jesus has been waiting on. No fluff. No hype. Just calling back to the beat of Jesus. This is where it started. Nothing else matters. And I realize just 